welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier, here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. And uh, this week, I have to say, I do have some bad news. I've got a cold. I probably sound even worse than usual. Mm. But the good news is, Billy Holiday has returned again for the podcast. Welcome back, Billy. Uh, I just can't stay away. I'm damn sure trying to, but I can't. You know, previous times you've missed the show, I thought it was just that you hated the game, but I think you missed a good one with Shinobi 3. And, uh... I, I know, I know. I, well, I mean, I'm always here for the TurboGrafx shows, so that should tell you that I, I show up for the shittiest of them. Yeah, you don't want to miss anything too bad. You want to make sure you, you hit all the bad ones uh, consistently and... and... Well done. Uh, but this mm-hmm. week, we're going to take a look at a, a PC game. I was worried that it might not fit our our rules for what we're going to cover, but it came out in 1998. That's 20 years ago, the same time frame as the PlayStation, so I say it's fine as we look at Grim Fandango. Uh, most specifically, I, I play Grim Fandango Remastered, but it's the same game, and we'll get into that shortly. But, Billy, since you missed last episode, what have you been playing? Uh I've had I've had a lot of shit going on, so I'm I, you know I, I'm trying not to play anything too heavy, anything too demanding, uh, anything too stressing. So I I have owned this game for a long ass time, but I uh, and I've played it here and there, but I have never really just sat down and played it at incredible length. But I, I believe I've probably mentioned it a time or two. Stardew Valley, I'm back at it, and I'm back at it hard. I um. When I've mentioned this in past episodes, I've you know I've been playing around with it here and there, but I have just been pouring hour after hour into this thing, and it keeps giving. Uh, it's I I just love that game. I, I can't get enough of it. And speaking of games that I have owned for a long time but have not cracked into, I, I was just I was you know on the PlayStation. I was kind of looking at a you know I, you amass a lot of games you know with the free ones they put out every month and um, you know what you might pick up in a sale. Legends and I, I had a bad taste in my mouth because just a few weeks ago I had played Rayman Origins on for the 360, which was just a horrific game. Um, and I had tied somehow in my head that they they were one and the same. But they are not. I've been playing Legends at length, and it's it's a phenomenal game. Uh, it's one of those I'll sit down yeah, 20, 30 minutes every night, play through, and you can clear out several stages on there. And, yeah, I mean, I've just been, besides what we're talking about today, I've just been cycling between those two pretty much nonstop. I loved Rayman Legends. I got it on the Wii U because it was one of the, yes. the first games and loved it. And uh-huh. then uh, I, I also like Rayman Origins, though. I'm not really sure mm. what you didn't like about that that you do like about Legends. But, you know, that's okay. I, they're different enough, I suppose. But uh, but both are really good. I actually also have been playing a game I thought I was done with. Uh, I haven't had a whole lot of time. Work has been very busy. And this game it took more time than I thought this week's uh, this episode's game. But I got back into Monster Hunter. Yeah, because they put out the last... You know I have downloaded Monster Hunter. Well, they put out the last major monster content before the expansion mm. uh, with the uh, arch-tempered uh, Nergigante. So I was very excited that was there. And, uh, and so I played that again. I finally beat him. So now I've beaten all the monsters uh, except for the extremely hard version of the Behemoth because it requires multiple people and I don't have patience. And I have not finished arch-tempered uh, the, the main end enemy of the game uh, because I hate that fight and it's not fun and I tried a couple times and it's still not fun and the extra hard mode so I'll eventually do that one but still it was good to get back to it I fell right back into it but uh, but thankfully since it was just one fight I am now done with it again hopefully for a few months so I can focus on newer games Jeremy what have you been playing 
Uh, not too much. I've been kind of just plugging my way through Division Two a, a good deal still. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm up to uh, World Tier Three. Uh, oh, if that shit. makes any any sense to anyone, it's essentially the end game where you're trying to get your armor up to a, a current or a, a high score or something, so you can do more difficult crap. Uh, you know, it's the same thing that's been in just about every looter shooter lately, like Destiny and all that. Um, but besides that, I finally actually bought uh, Smash Brothers for the Switch, and I'm not entirely sure why, because I've never <laughs> been the biggest uh, Smash Brothers fan, but uh, I'm actually having a lot of fun going through the incredibly monotonous single-player adventure kind of mode, uh, where you're just kind of going through and, and you're fighting d- these different enemies. Um, it, it's really hard. To, I mean, it, it's not hard to explain, but at the same time, it's just really strange. I mean, there's this one part where you're going, like it's actually flying you around the map, like Street Fighter Two style, and you're fighting various. It, it kind of takes on like a, an actual fighting game uh, with with how it plays, and it's just, and you're getting these weird spirits which which help you in the fights. I, I it it would take me way too long to try and describe all this mess, and I'm pretty sure everybody knows how it works at this point. But um, essentially, the single player portion, every person you go up against has like one of four different uh a, kind of um i don't know it's like spirit strength and uh defense and something else and it's kind of rock paper scissors so whatever fighters and stuff they have equipped you have to kind of uh rock paper scissor it on your end uh you've got to pick something that's going to have an advantage and also kind of aid you in the battle like you can you can jump higher with certain spirits or you can um, stages that have like lava floors. You can find spirits that negate lava floors. So it's just a mess. I mean, it, it just never ends. I think I'm around like four or five hours into it and I barely cleared any of the map. Um, and I'm going to keep playing it because most fights only take a few minutes. But the one oh. thing I'm finding with it is it usually you will hit a wall with, mm. with one fighter that is just like insanely hard. Like last boss to a fighting game hard. And you will just sit there and just go at that one for like half an hour to an hour Mm -hmm. before you can actually beat it. But besides that, every other fight is just like, you know, 10 seconds long uh, to finish and get a new spirit card or something else. And eventually you also unlock fighters that you you can actually uh, fight with in in the main game. That's kind of how it seems like you, you unlock most of the fighters in that game. So I'm I'm having fun messing around with it. I don't think I'm ever going to be good at smash brothers. I, I, but still just kind of jumping around with Link and throwing my boomerang and bombs around. is It's it's fun enough for me. Yeah, Smash Brothers is fun, especially with a group of people just to kind of mindlessly play. I have no interest in playing like professional level Smash Brothers. I suck at it, but it, but it's fun. And I do like unlocking all the characters and stuff. Uh, but a game that's fun to play by yourself, thankfully. This week's game, Grim Fandango, originally for the PC. Hey now, this I, I was very excited uh, when this was uh, when we first started talking about doing this one. I know we haven't have not ventured 
into the realm of, of PC games. I don't know if that's going to be a something we do every now and then or not. Um, but I just uh, have a long history with this game. I got it uh, upon launch, and I got it just because it was being hyped up in a you know a couple of the the, the PC gaming magazines, uh, which I didn't usually buy. Those were kind of a stand in the grocery store and, and read through kind of thing. Um, and plus just the, the, the box art for it or, or discard or whatever you want to call it. Uh, when I went to the store and, and finally saw it. Um, and I am, you know, at that time I was a huge, and kind of cemented my place as a, as a, as a point and click man. And I saw this one and this was one of the many times when I realized that just because there's a PC game and I had a PC didn't mean I could pop it in and play it. Um, I always just, I was a big console player and it was never a big deal to me to have a, a, a PC for gaming purposes. I mean, mine was always at this point in time, you know, mid to late nineties, it was, it was for homework, you know, typing up papers and whatnot. It, I didn't need a computer that was too demanding. Um, but yeah, so I got this and, my first time playing through this, all the way through to the end, I hobbled through this game uh, with with just everything lagging, every single thing lagging behind. Sounds not syncing up with the actions. Uh, I didn't know anything else at that time, so yeah, I played through it. Uh, and this was one of the first games when I finally plunked down uh, and, and purchased my own computer that i i played through again it was just it was like a brand new game and i think it, it played about four times the speed then um and i had most recently and it's how i played through for this time uh they put out the remaster which is is fine work i picked it up on the ps4 uh and that's actually what i used to play through this time and i'm about the same like i didn't actually really have anything to play pc games on until I think it was around 1998 and I got my first uh, first Dell and uh, it had a really bad graphics card in it, but it was still good enough to play some of those late nineties PC game classics. And I, I picked up, I got two games at once one day at Walmart. It was Grim Fandango and the other one was MDK and uh, MDK didn't run so great on that computer, but at least Grim Fandango ran well enough. And that was actually my first experience with a, a LucasArts adventure game because I'd never actually played any sort of uh, adventure game, PC game or anything that didn't get ported over to console Mm. up to that point. So that was my first experience getting into the adventure game scene. And I was at a loss because I didn't, I was not prepared for just the random things you kind of have to do in those games. Uh, But that game was so stylish and and funny and the characters were so great that it just pushed me along the entire way. Like every time I get stuck, I'd really go out of my way to, to try to push forward just because of how charming that game is. And I just wanted to see what was coming next. Well, I had never played this LucasArts adventure game. I've played a lot of adventure games, graphic adventure games growing up. I mean, I, I used to love even just the text adventure games, like the Infocom games. Uh, we had an Amiga when I grew up, so I'd say half of our games were text adventures or, or kind of rudimentary graphic text adventures where you'd get like a still screen and it would show you, you know, if there was a gun or something, you'd see the gun on the table and you could type, get gun. And it was very hard to figure out, one, what you're supposed to do, two, what was an actual item and what wasn't just background 
three, what things you could find that weren't really shown on the screen, but if you thought about the room you were in, like if you were in a kitchen and you didn't see the sink, you could say, look in the sink, and it's like, there's a sink to the right, and there is a key in the sink, or something like that. Like, you'd have to think out of the box. Uh, so I played a lot of those, and then I started getting into the, the Sierra adventure games, like King's Quest and Space Quest, and then, later on, uh, I got my first LucasArts game, which for me was the Monkey Island series. I loved... Uh, the Monkey Island series. I had the first two on Amiga, and uh, and then I you know kind of went back. I played Maniac Mansion, uh, which was also Lucas Arts uh, on the Nintendo, and I had Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders, which is one of the hardest games I've ever played, and I never did get probably farther than realistically ten percent through it. But I really really liked it because it was weird. Um, you know, this game being a Lucas Arts game, it actually uh, the the lead designer was Tim Schaefer. Uh, he actually used to work on the Monkey Island games, not as the writer, but as, as like an associate uh, director and, and a, a co-writer in the games. And then he did Full Throttle, which was uh, another game that came out a couple years before this, another similar you know, point-and-click sort of action-adventure game. But this game, uh, Grim Fandango, was the first game that LucasArts put out where it didn't use their old engine, which was called the Scum Engine, which instead of, of having a text box where you'd type in, you know, go west and look at knife or whatever. You had a series of, of buttons on the on the bottom that would say, like, look or touch or open, and then you'd click things on the screen, and that's how you interface with the game. So it was easier to use than a standard text box, uh, but you also had to move around the screen with your character, and then you'd use those boxes to figure out what to do. I really, really like that engine, and this is the first game they put out that did not use that interface. Instead, this is a much more streamlined interface that allows for uh, more or less one button that kind of is an action button on anything you're nearby that you can use. Uh, there's a button that lets you go through your inventory, and there's a button that kind of cancels your inventory. Uh, and then other than moving your character around, that's the only three things you need to do. If it's important and you can go up to it, you can look at it, and then you can use the action button to see if you can pick it up or use it in any way. And a lot of the time when you try to do that, your character will you know, tell you oh, this looks like it could be used for X, Y, and Z. Sometimes it's an obvious hint, sometimes it's a very vague hint, and sometimes it's just super funny uh, with whatever they say. So it made it very easy to go through this game, even with not a lot of experience in adventure games, and it was a really good kind of introduction to this style of game. It's got that kind of Resident Evil feel to it, as far as moving around. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you played one of those games, one of the early ones, then... then you should be able to kind of just get around the screen like that because, yeah, you're not actually clicking where you want to go. You got full-on tank controls to get around if you use it like that. And then you just have to walk up to things and press the button, and, you know, that that's how you get around. The original PC version, yes, has tank controls. Uh, if you get the remastered, they've actually got it set up so that for character movement, you can kind of move it in the direction you want to go. It's a much more standard control scheme but you can switch back to tank controls and any vehicle or any other uh any other movement that's not your character is still tank controls which they don't explain very well uh but that's you know there's there's a certain part of the game where you have to get into a like a forklift and that fully ta controls like a uh, like a resident evil tank so you got to make sure you still can play that kind of game uh, but it is nice that the remaster did kind of tweak the controls a little bit to make it a little easier to use since tank controls really are a pretty dated uh control concept uh, the only other thing about Remastered is, is it has nicer graphics, and it uh, you know pretty much the, the story's the same, the puzzles are the same, so it's not like playing the Remastered is going to give you a bunch of puzzles or a bunch of extra material or cut material out. You're pretty much playing the original game with the option to see some slightly nicer graphics, which you can turn on and off, and turn on and off tank control. So I, I do like that kind of remake. I wish more people would do a remake like that instead of a full-blown remake, but that said, 
you know, I, I would also like more people to do the kind of remake that uh, Resident Evil 2 just got, where it's a full-blown remake that really takes advantage of new hardware, but still keeps the kind of feel and, and style of the original game. Yeah, but I, I think whereas, uh, you know, the Resident Evil 2 one, um, I, there was a good bit to improve on in that game and kind of overhaul. Uh, but this one, I, I find it very hard, you know, besides the graphics, which which are dated. Uh, it, it is not a pretty game anymore uh by today's standards obviously uh which actually you can go back there is a setting on there to revert back to the original graphics if you if you want to be reminded of just how good you have it nowadays you can you can flip back and forth on there uh i just thought that from a a story standpoint uh, we'll talk about the story somewhat uh i think we were all pretty adamant about uh since this is a very story heavy game uh not really giving away too much of it beyond, you know, beyond a certain point. Um, and yeah, I mean, just the environment of this game is, is something special. I think Jeremy said earlier, uh, even if he was frustrated with it, he just, he kind of felt compelled to keep going uh, because it is, it's such a great setting. Uh, the the sound, the, the characters, just, just the look of it. Um, there's, this game had a ton going for it at the time. Uh, and I feel like this one, uh, it's all it needed. It just needed a little sprucing up. I don't, I don't think there was much more you can do to improve on this one. Yeah, and it's just so stylized. I mean, if you've never seen the game before, uh, it's it's essentially taking place in, in uh, the City of the Dead, um, where people go after you die. And, uh, you know, the, you play as Manny, and he is a uh, representative, I guess, as far as, like, taking these people that have died and seeing how they make it through the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And it's, it it just looks insane because you are essentially playing as characters that look like something out of, uh, Oh, what's the Mexican holiday? Like day Uh, of the dead. Yes. Uh, They all look like that. Everything is stylized after that. And Mm -hmm. the characters and, and all that stuff are fully polygonal. So yes, they are 3d and, they kind of move around the, the level like that, but all the backgrounds of Resident Evil style are all CG. Mm-hmm. And yeah, going back to that original one, uh, it is, it's not that great to look at, but I think the style of that game carries it, carries it much further than trying to look at something like the original Resident Evil or Resident oh, yeah. Evil 2. Uh, it still holds up in that regard because it's not trying to be realistic for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very kind of bright and cartoonish for the most part. And all the characters are just so weird and off the wall that it's, it's not anything that really took me out of the game, but it, it, you know, the remaster is, is good enough that it wasn't anything that it was just kind of making me like, Oh oh, man, this is just, it's so dated. Uh, It's still, I I think it still looks good. Yeah. The remaster graphics are just sharper versions of the original Mm -hmm. graphics. It's not like it's a, I don't know if you played the remasters of monkey Island they put out, but you can switch back to the old graphics and those are, I mean, pixel block graphics, uh, and it looks, you know, very, very dated. And then you switch to the new graphics, and sometimes it's actually, like, completely overlays a whole new background, or, you know, everything looks a lot more cartoony and bright. This really just sharpens those those kind of rough, jagged edges on the old mm-hmm. graphics. So, it, I mean, it, it, I think the, the graphic style, while certainly if it came out today as a new game, you'd say, what, you know, why would you, is this like some kind of throwback title? But it's not like uh, an 8-bit retro title. I mean, it still looks very nice. So the game kind of moves along four chapters. 
uh, of the, the, the progression of that Manny has in his main quest. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of the, the basics of the story and kind of how it starts off. Um, I personally have not finished this game yet, only because I don't want to look online. I don't know if anyone else needed the hints. I certainly needed them, and I think having them at my fingertips now with a phone it makes it dangerous to then, as soon as I run into 30 seconds of a hang-up, I'm like, well, let me just look this up. Where I know, as a kid, I would have spent days and days and days and days going through as far as I already got through in about two days. Uh, it's it's kind of a complaint, but at the same time, what I like about these games specifically is online you can find what's called like the universal hint guide or something, and it gives you, instead of just saying here's what to do in each puzzle, it'll give you a series of increasingly specific tips and hints as what to do until eventually like 12 steps down it's like open the red door with the green key idiot you know and then it tells you what to do but at first it might say things like well it's a door i bet there's a lock on it and then it'll say you should really inspect that lock and see if anything looks like it might fit in that lock and then the third key the third hint will say something like well the door handle is green that might be a, a hint you might want to look at like it gives you increasingly easy hints so eventually it just says you know find the green key over at the bowling alley and put it in the red door i mean that's not a, an actual quest in the game but that's the kind of universal hint system that a lot of these games had you had to either order them online uh or order them through the mail and get a literal book that told this to you but now you can just find this all over the internet but i love that hint system because there are lots of times and it happened to me at, at least once or twice even in the first chapter of of the four where i knew what the overall puzzle was asking me to do and i thought i was doing the right thing but it wasn't working and i just was in a slightly wrong spot or i was you know not not necessarily in the right uh like in front of the right device to use it i was next to it but not looking at it a lot of the time when you're walking around as manny you'll see his head roll towards different items so if you walk by a table and there's a phone on it as he walks close enough to the phone you'll see his head turn and look at the phone that's how you know if you use your action button he would use the phone as opposed to using the desk or just using whatever's in his hand uh, so that you have to watch the visual cues to tell you what to do and a lot of the time if i ran into problems it wasn't that I couldn't figure out the puzzle. It's that I couldn't figure out if what I was doing was even in the right direction. So that hint system actually made it so I didn't feel like I was giving the game away, but I definitely still probably took more hints than I should have. And I think that's one of the biggest complaints you can kind of uh, throw at the, the way the game looks and the graphics and stuff like that, because there's a lot of times where the camera angles can actually obscure some of the things that you're actually needing to get. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the early ones was definitely the hole punch. Um, Yes. That one. I mean, that's just kind of, you would easily miss that if you're just not, if you didn't know it was there. And there's a lot of stuff like that to where there were times I remember back as a kid where I was just going around the room, running up against every solid object Mm -hmm. and hitting that action button to see if I could find something. And more, more often than not, I would. Because the game, the, the graphics in the game are so dense at times, it's not a simple looking game. A lot of those things can be hidden in those environments, and it can be hard to find sometimes. Yeah. And, and that hole punch, actually, if we're going to talk about specific puzzles and situations in the game where I don't feel like we're spoiling it for people, this is probably a good one. It's in the first act. It, it, it'll kind of explain the whole point of the story and, and really kind of explain how this game fits together and, and the kind of puzzles you'll see in this game if you've never played a game like this. Um, so... 
as Manny, you're trying to figure out how to get better clients for your, you know, basically whoever whoever gets the best clients who live the best life, they have the ability to, you know, take like a fast train to the the ninth plane of heaven or whatever in, of existence and and live in eternal harmony. But everyone else, if you've lived a hard life, if you've lived a bad life, then you might have to walk through the eighth. Uh, through through the eighth circle of hell to get to the ninth, and then that is what your character does. He tries to sell people based on their their life situations what package they will get to travel through the you know th- this part of the afterlife. So Manny is trying to get better clients because there's another guy in the office who seems to get all the best clients no matter what. So eventually you figure out that he's getting messages sent to him. So you have to break into the mailroom, which is kind of down towards the bottom of the building, and the mailroom has this big machine that sorts all the mail and spits it out through these tubes like at a bank, uh, like a drive-in bank teller. And you have to figure out a way to, uh, to one, get access to this mailroom through a series of puzzles that are, that are pretty difficult but kind of self-explanatory once, you, once you're used to this kind of game. But I could not figure out how to get, uh, once you get access to the mailroom, you have to find a way to plug up the mail slot with something but it can't be something that has that totally stops the airway because then the air pushes so hard it shoots everything out of the way and, and makes sure that whatever you put in there doesn't work. And one of the first items you pick up in the game is a box of playing cards. And it even gives you a hint. When you first look at the box of playing cards, Manny says something like, I need to make sure I mark these cards soon. And if you're a gambler at all, you mark cards by either putting holes in them, little holes in them or little marks on them. Uh, so it, it's letting you know here's something you could do, find a way to, to kind of hurt these cards. But I didn't think about that. And so I kept trying to put the playing cards in the slot in the mail machine to stop the to stop the package and, you know, give me enough time to read his mail. But mm-hmm. because there was no holes in the card and the card was just a straight piece of paper, it was pushing that through the mail chute. And I could not figure out what to do. And, yes, when you go back up to, you know, an office that you're in earlier in the game and you walk at it from a specific angle, all of a sudden you can kind of see this weird black bar. I assumed... As, as I have a desk at my office, it's like a nameplate. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even think about trying to use it. And so I was just getting frustrated walking around. I hit the button. All of a sudden, he's like, oh, can I use your hole punch? And starts just punching holes in pieces of paper or something. And I was like, wait a minute. A hole punch. And so then I punched holes in my playing card and was able to put it in the mail slot machine. And then that allowed the, the package to stop long enough for me to read his mail and figure out where this you know, next client I could get was from. And that progresses the story where you can now find a place to go uh, to to move the story along, get to the next chapter. Those yeah. are the kind of puzzles that are in the game. It's a lot of making sure you have specific items in your inventory, making sure you're at the right places, not necessarily at the right time, but you definitely have to do things in the right order. Uh, and then, you know, eventually you'll figure out what to do, moves the story to the next spot, and generally, as long as you're constantly finding one or two new things you haven't seen before every time you play the game, you'll eventually know or at least have all the tools you need to get to that next spot. Yeah, and and if that kind of gameplay, if you can, if you're accustomed to that from other games of this nature, or you don't mind it, uh, you're gonna love this one. But if that sounds tedious to you, if that sounds like something you're not gonna enjoy, um, I don't know if the atmosphere of this is gonna be enough to push you through. Um, it can be frustrating. Uh, some of the puzzles uh, I found to be very clever. Uh, like when you, when it finally clicks, you have that aha moment and you, you pull out that correct item and you use it, uh, you sit to yourself and you say, okay, that makes sense. That is, I hate to say logical in a game like this, but you're like, okay, that I, I could see that item 
doing this and working here. And a lot of times you already work out in your head when you find an item. It's like, oh, that part from earlier, I, I can take this there and try that. Um, at that point in time where you have collected pretty much everything you think you can pick up, uh, there are a lot of problems uh, we've we've already spoke about of items just kind of kind of blending in there. And if you walk by something, uh, Manny ever so slightly will, will kind of tilt his head uh, if you're near if you're near an item. He'll kind of just slightly tilt his head towards it. Uh, it's completely missable. Um, and sometimes. A to B is a long distance that you have to cover. And you're going to be, you're going to be, one example is you're having to break into a, uh, a co-worker's office. And it takes a little bit to get there. You're not exactly, you're not leaving your office going next door and going in. You have to go out the building. You have to scale up. You have to, you know, go over the window ledge and jump in. Uh, and if you get in there and you realize something or you don't have a certain something at that time, you're just going to have to redo that again. And it gets a little tiresome. Sometimes there are other instances in the game. Um, one is particularly not to say an awful lot, but you'll find yourself out uh, in the woods at a certain point in time. And there's just a lot of back and forth. Uh, most of it is avoidable. If you happen to know what you're doing at the time, but if it's your first time sitting down with it, or if I learned if it's your first time playing it after a little while, uh, you're just going to be going back and forth to the, the same, same areas over and over again. It, and it can wear on you a little bit then if you're, if you're not conditioned to playing these games and, and you don't really have the patience for that kind of thing. And as I mentioned before, like this was my first LucasArts gaming mm-hmm. experience, uh, adventure game ex- gaming experience. And a lot of that, that was all new to me. And from what I, after I played games over the years, other LucasArts adventure games, Grim Fandango isn't actually as, it's just coming out as just ra- like you find random things and they mm-hmm. are the, the solution to a, a, a puzzle. Like what you said, it, it does kind of make sense for the mm-hmm. most part of some of the things that you're finding. Um, but also I was not prepared for that backtracking because there is a lot of backtracking because a lot of these things, a lot of these things you can find can actually be used for multiple puzzles. Mm -hmm. Uh, early in the game, uh, one example is the balloon guy. Yes. And you will be going to that guy a couple of times, Mm -hmm. but if you don't know, if you think you've used him to solve one puzzle and then you've hit a wall later in the game or later on, because you think you've already used that guy, you know, and, and you've solved that. No, you actually have to go back and get something else from him to to finish a puzzle. Uh, that's that's a you know like an hour later or something like that. That's in a completely different place, um, and, and it, there is a also a, a good deal of trial and error puzzles in mm-hmm. the game that you just kind of have to just try over and over, backtrack to to get the thing again, go back, try it, get it to work, hope that it works, <laughs> so you don't have to run back to the previous thing to get an item again, so you mm-hmm. can go back there and do it again. Um, there is a lot of that, and I it, if you're not a fan of backtracking this is probably not going to be the game for you, especially in the second act. Mm. Yeah, the second act is, is big. You're, you're in mm-hmm. a, another city. You're going back and forth through a bunch of different buildings, and there's a lot of a lot of things you can easily miss or a lot of going through three or four buildings uh, across yeah. the map just to figure out 
you know, the puzzle that's in the next room that you're currently starting in. But to get all the pieces, you need to keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, to go back to the, the woods again, that's in the first act. I feel like we mm-hmm. can pretty much openly discuss it without mm-hmm. spoiling the rest of the game for people. Um, there's two things in that outside area. So the story story wise. You, you, you do the thing we were talking about earlier with the getting seen in the mail. You find out where this client would be. You go get the client. You bring her back to the office, and you sell her a package, well, like with a pogo stick or something. And, and so then she vanishes. No one can find her. So you're going to go out and find her to, to save your client, uh, who somehow is a love interest this early in the game, despite there's been none of that. Uh, but mm. still, she's the point. You know, you're, you're going out to find her or whatever. So you go out to this woods area. There's two different puzzles. And this is where I had to look up the answers because I was – doing the right thing or at least going the right way but i misunderstood what the game was telling me to do so one is you find you get to a place like like the lost woods where you walk into one side of the screen and there's like 20 exits and each exit seems to spit you out in some other corner of the screen so you've got to figure out how to get through that room and the only way to do it is is you find a sign with an arrow on it in another room and you plop it down in the middle of that room, and the sign spins around, and it points at what I thought was which tree to drive into. And so I would drive into that tree, and it would spit me out, and I kept using the sign. I kept thinking, well, maybe I'm just guessing the wrong tree, and, you know, just kept spinning the sign around, driving through these holes. I spent half an hour just on this one screen driving in and out of tree trunks because I couldn't figure out what this sign was telling me. Mm -hmm. The sign wasn't saying, here's where to drive into the tree trunk. The sign was saying, here's where you need to move the sign. (laughs) <laughs> and then eventually you move the sign to where the right place with points and the sign like falls down and, and a door opens up in the ground that leads you to the next part you need. That's the kind of puzzle that this game has and a lot of these adventure games have where what you're doing causes a reaction in the game. So you think you've got the right answer, but it's not quite the right answer. And I wasted half an hour on that before I finally looked yeah. up the hint to say like in, in other games that have similar kind of puzzles, uh, Monkey Island had had a puzzle where you basically made a compass and it would do the same thing in these caves, which is also a reason I thought that was the answer to this puzzle. And eventually you had to do it like five times in a row hitting the right one and that got you through. So I thought this was like, is this like that? But the puzzles 10 times in a row was the puzzle, you know, that you have to go the opposite direction or something weird. I couldn't figure it out. But yeah, it's to move the sign to where the arrow points, not to drive to it. So that that's one of the puzzles. And in these kind of games, uh, yes, you move your character around, so it is more action-based than, say, a straight point-and-click game or, or a game like Myst where you don't see your character. Mm-hmm. But that said, when they try to throw in any sort of reaction-based puzzle, I hate them. I hate them a lot. A lot of the time you have to make sure you time things in a way that's not it's not organic feeling. It's not an action game at this point. It really is down to, like, I push the button because in 13 seconds later, the reaction that I need will happen at exactly the right point. And one of those puzzles is right there where there are these these fire lizards they're real little but they're on fire and and of course you can't drive through a bunch of fire lizards so you have to take this fire extinguisher that you found go to one specific screen throw a bone like into the into this tar and then one of the fire beasts will slowly walk over and then jump into the fire and you have that little gap of time from when they they land you know start their jump to land in the tar to hit them with the spray from your fire extinguisher but when the the fire extinguisher animation is not instant and the jump animation is awkward, and you have that little bit of time, and it doesn't even look like it's working half the time. And I did that a couple times. I tried to do it because I thought maybe that's what you're supposed to do, and it didn't work, so I figured I had the wrong answer, but I was just timing it wrong. And I don't know how you could explain that better in the game 
to let people know, yes, what you're doing is right, but the timing is off. Like, he could have said something like, darn it, I just missed them, or something, and that would let me know I was in the right way. But instead, nothing happened. And I, again, I couldn't figure out what to do, so I had to look up the hint again to find out, oh, I am doing the right thing. I'm just not timing it right. And there's a few of those in the, in the game. And that's one of the things I was, it, especially playing on PC back in the day, it was, it was something trying to time that with a keyboard and, uh, you know, get that, get that correct. Um, one of the other things that actually drove me crazy in this game that I totally forgot about uh, playing it now uh, is Manny has a scythe. And this actually really bugs me because it's rarely actually used in the entire game, but it's something he has all the time. Because, you know, he's, he's a Grim Reaper. And there's a few of these puzzles that just randomly pop up that actually require you to use that scythe. And and one of them is is actually in that wood section, uh, or maybe just before it, where you have to get uh, something off of a spider web. And yes. you throw something on there to get that, you know, it, to think that that might do it. Because he does interact with that object. He throws a bone on the spider web. But that's not the end of it. And I remember as a kid... I looked forever to figure out what the hell to do in that spot. Mm-hmm. But you're actually, Manny has a scythe and you just use that and he will use that to like pull that bone and then get that object off of the spider web. And there are parts during that game where you can sit there and look forever for a certain thing. And it's totally just the thing you've got on your, on your body. Mm-hmm. One of the things I liked about this game uh, for this kind of game, and I like, I love adventure games and I think this is a good adventure game. But one of the things this game does that I, I really like, and a lot of the LucasArts games did this, is there aren't a lot of red herring items. You don't have things you pick up that do absolutely nothing, or that it's yeah. just letting you take because you can. Um, many of these games in the past have had extra objects that, you know, t- to stop people from just taking everything, they would make it so everything was takeable, and then you end up walking around with, you know, the hole punch. You don't need to take the hole punch, you need to use it. But in other games, you would be able to take that hole punch, or, you know, take a phone off your desk, or take a notepad, or whatever, and none of this stuff mm-hmm. is actually needed. So basically, anything you can pick up will be used for the puzzles, generally. Uh, you brought up the balloon guy earlier. You can get a, a series of different balloons, and the other ones really don't do anything. They're just kind of funny. But you still have to go to him to get a balloon. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't count that as a red herring item. But there's yeah, not a lot of times where you get items where you're like, why did I take these 17 candy mm-hmm. bars? I don't need 17 different candy bars. Yeah. Well, which is good in this game, because I, I dislike how you cycle through your inventory on here. Um, I, I just feel like... Uh, a screen that presented at all would have been nice. Uh, when you when you decide to go into your inventory, you zoom in on Manny, who you know reaches into his his jacket or his robes or whatnot, and and pulls out each item individually. From yes. there, you kind of cycle through them, I, and it's just it it brings things to a halt. It, one, it brings things to a halt. Two, it takes your focus off the environment, so you can't actively look at the item and say, hmm. That looks like that might go there. Um, it's just a, a zoom in. You go item by item. And, and I don't recall a point in this game where I had an extensive inventory. It seemed like I was I was using items about as steadily as I was finding them. Uh, but there is a time where you get a handful of items and just cycling through there. It, it's minor. That's a nitpick, nitpick rather. Um but yeah, it gets a little old, especially when you're trying to figure something out and you're just having to continually go back to that inventory shuffle. And just one screen, if you could have pulled it all up and just, you know, it would have been much better. Uh, 
I don't have a lot of bad to say about this game, but that was one thing that was becoming an annoyance, especially on uh, puzzles I didn't recall this time around, and I was having to to go back and forth in my inventory several times over. I do like that Manny actually comments on each item, though, mm. like if you want him to. And, and some of those can actually give you a hint as mm-hmm. to what to do with that item. But then, of course, there's other times where he's just being a smartass and he says something dumb. Uh, but... But yeah, that it is an, it is kind of annoying. I just wish it had a regular inventory screen. Yeah, that, the inventory is easily my least favorite thing about the game. Uh, it it's a neat idea in mm-hmm. in concept, but yeah, in, in in actual gameplay, it gets annoying real quick. And the other thing about this game that a lot of games of this style worked around by either having a notebook or by letting you repeat full conversations is a lot of the the mini objectives for each person's you know side quest or whatever the the next step is in your process you get via a conversation the conversations mm-hmm. are long they have a lot of funny options so you want to go through all of them but they'll tell you what they want and there are some cases where they'll tell you just one time what it is they want mm-hmm. and you have to hopefully remember exactly what they said to do um it's not too often uh, and this game is pretty good about not locking you into a, a puzzle that way but there's definitely a handful of times where because i put the you know i played the game then i put it down then i came back later i'm like i've forgotten exactly what this guy wanted me to get him i think i remember but i don't remember what he said and it may actually involved you know to use another item to get a specific code or something i was like i'm not going to remember this and i didn't and so i had to look it up and then i remembered immediately like oh i should have remembered that but still it's you don't go back to me doesn't repeat the same thing again for you it'll just say things like so do you have my briefcase and you're like oh i've forgotten where the briefcase would be i don't remember where he said it would be so there's little things that because the game doesn't give you like i know it's a different kind of game but actually very similar in 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 the fact that you have a bunch of objectives but you know we covered the shenmue games and they have a notebook in there. So when you talk to someone who gives you a tip, you can actually go back through the notebook and it says, like, you know, Sal at the grocery store really likes fish. Now, that doesn't mean anything, but it puts it in your book at least. You could go back and look at your notebook when you're lost. This mm-hmm. doesn't have that. I think that leads to a lot of wandering, especially in the in the second, second year or second act. Uh, if you're not paying attention to what you need to do, then you are literally just going to each area that you can do and or go to and just pressing the action button on everything and seeing if you pick up something new or if you can just kind of randomly solve a a puzzle because there there is a lot of speech in this game and and talking to people is uh they have a lot to say usually uh there's multiple different answers that you know that you can give and what they'll respond to and it's just there's a whole lot there so if you're not paying attention uh, or if somebody's just droning on and you just kind of get bored and stop listening to them, you can actually miss something pretty important. Yeah. See, so yeah, I really don't want to get into the puzzles too much for the later half of the game. Uh, we've kind of covered the first act pretty well and and talked enough about the second Uh, if you like this kind of game if you like games where you have to find items and use them to figure out puzzles uh it's got it's got a really funny script i actually like Mm -hmm. talking to everybody even if you think it's kind of a mindless option to collect like why would you select that 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 text choice i select them all because you want to hear everything everybody says it's written very well yeah i mean this is actually a funny game and that's pretty rare in in a lot of video games there's just a lot of really well-written humor here uh, Tim Schafer is, is kind of known for that. And I think this is one of his his best games in that regard. And it's very well acted. Uh, just some really great voice acting all around. 
uh, really memorable characters like Gladys and Manny. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff that I remember, you know, what is this, like 20 years basically after the point that's been yeah, released? 20 years. Uh, and, and just coming back to it, I was just like, yeah, this is it. I, I remember just about every single scene, uh, probably because I just ran around in them endlessly as a kid trying to figure them out. But it's still just things that I really enjoyed going through and 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 all the puzzles and everything like that. There's definitely some tedium here and there, but everything else, it, it's just so good. And the story itself is really well written, mm-hmm. especially if you're a fan of like, uh, you know, like those early like 30s and 40s kind of mystery movies. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, film noir. noir. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you like that stuff, this is totally that kind of story. And it's really well done especially like going through each each of the years and stuff like that. So I would highly recommend it. I am super glad that this was my first LucasArts game because uh, it kind of it's it's an easier LucasArts uh, adventure game to mm. me because the ones I played later on, like Monkey Island, things like that, there is, yes, it, it is a much more difficult adventure game as mm. far as like knowing what you need to do. And Grim Fandango is still kind of hard at times, but there was never a point where I just didn't want to stop playing it. Yeah. And, and I'm going to have to go three for three on this one. Uh, and and like Jeremy was just saying, uh, yeah, there are some tedious points to it. Uh, there, there can be some frustration here and there. But uh, of all the complaints we've had about this game, I, I think those complaints are probably spread throughout this genre. And this is a very light offender in a lot of those areas. Um, you know, as, as confusing as some of the puzzles can be, as obtuse as they can be at times, and the backtracking, but you're doing that, but it's taking place in just a, a, a completely enthralling world they've created here. And it gets so many points and so much goodwill from me just based on the charm. And, and like, you know, the other two guys said, this is a genuinely funny game. Uh, the jokes on here are they actually hit uh, more times than not, and it's just charming game, a uh, very memorable cast of characters. Um, if if you love if you like action games, if you like the point and click games, and you for some reason have not played this one, I would recommend running immediately. Uh, I think I don't know if it's available on all consoles. I know it's at least on the PS4, um, and, and snatching it up. Um, and yeah, and if you are curious about that genre of games and you haven't played, I, I don't think you could do a better one for your first go through than this. Yeah, this is a great introduction to this style of game. It's not as, as obtuse for the puzzles. It's not as hard to maneuver and figure out specific wording like older games, uh, in this, this sort of game. I mean, you go back to the, the early King's Quest games and stuff. There's a lot of those where if you don't know exactly what to type and sometimes the command is just written horribly that's acceptable because the, mm-hmm. the programmer thought it made sense but you know why would you type the, the phrase use cassette in video machine but that's the one you use and if you don't type that exact phrase in nothing will happen so no matter how bad you want to put your cassette in that tape uh, the vcr it's not going to work so it, it's things like that that older games had this really avoids all that uh again there's not a lot of extra items it's funny there's a lot of speech in it but not in an annoying way. It, it's a great introduction to this kind of game, and yes, it's available on everything, and uh, and the remaster does not drastically change the game, so you're still getting basically the same exact experience uh, mm-hmm. that you would have gotten 20 years ago. So, go find it. It's everywhere. Ah, the big golden door to mediocre management. A little respect for our fearless leader, please. Why? I've worked here longer than he has, you know. And you're proud of that? Hmm. 
Good point. Uh, one of the things we didn't talk about at the beginning that I've been playing, and I think both of you have been in as well, is the uh, the Castlevania collection. Konami's Castlevania collection just came out for pretty much everything new. Uh, mm-hmm. I have it on the PS4. It is wonderful. Uh, all the complaints, not complaints, but all the concerns I had uh, because of the other Konami shooter collection. It was fine, but but maybe a little more bare bones. This has more to it. This has a little more meat to it, uh, which is nice. But also, I mean, it's Castlevania games. They play very, very well. Uh, mm-hmm. So very, very into that. But I didn't want to talk about it much. I think next episode we're going to focus on our thoughts on the collection. But most importantly, we're going to review a game we've never been able to play before. And now it's here in this collection. So we will be reviewing Kid Dracula uh, off the Konami collection. But actually, we'll talk about all the games on there. So th- it'll be good to, to kind of cover all those games at once one more time. Because there's one thing people love. It's a lot of Castlevania talk. But I believe we have, again, a, a fairly substantial amount of listener mail. Boy, howdy, do we. Uh, we have several questions. Again, keeping up with uh, what we mentioned in the last podcast, uh, we have a lot. And um, if you don't hear what you wrote in here, uh, we're going to try to work that in. Uh, we have a backlog. And I kind of just stuck to the ones uh, for this episode that that actually kind of tie in with the previous episode. I think for our next episode, uh, since we're going to talk specifically about that collection, and Kid Dracula, which while I've been playing it, I don't know if that's a a long discussion or not we'll probably hit a good amount of mail next episode mm-hmm. as well so if your question has not been answered here or the last episode there's a real real good chance it will be on our kid dracula episode all right so our first question is uh we actually have two questions uh game recommended re- game recommendations from mark i've kind of combined them into one here mm-hmm. and uh he says i have a recommendation for a game review north and south for the nes i remember renting it multiple times as a kid with fond memories i recently looked it up and the current price for the nes cartridge is out of my budget especially since i have no idea if it holds up over time Something I read refers to it as being one of the first console real-time strategy games. I don't know if that holds true or if the guy selling his copy on eBay is just trying to talk up his his merchandise. Also, would you guys consider Conker's Bad Fur Day for an episode? I recently got the Rare Replay on Xbox One and have played about an hour of this game, and it makes me laugh as I play it. I have quite a bit of time left in this game since I can't really play it in front of my kids and thought it might be a fun one to review. So I actually brought up North and South a while ago, uh, at least internally, with the three of us as a game I would like to cover, because uh, it is. It's a strategy game, sort of. We haven't covered a lot of strategy games. It's nice to find one. Uh, I also had that on computer, so it's a it's a computer port, but the NES version, as I recall, did play okay, uh, although admittedly I've not played it in, in 20 years or so, so it maybe it holds up, maybe it doesn't, but I would gladly cover North and South at some point. Uh, Conquers is one, I think it's a fun game, but I don't know how fun it would be to discuss without just laughing at specific things that happen. I don't think it's as good of a game as, you know, like we covered Banjo-Kazooie before. I think that's a much stronger game in that sort of, of genre of game. But I'm not opposed to it. If, if the other two guys really want to cover it, I would do it. I think Conquer would actually be pretty fun because there's just so many different there's a lot of variety to that game as as much as like yes there is a lot of really bad crude humor to that game and, and just so many uh callbacks to, to things that just don't really make any sense now um but uh, there's so much variety in the gameplay department in that game that it, it, it would be kind of fun to discuss it's just all over the place i only ever beat it back on the nintendo 64 and i haven't really played it since but i do remember it just being ridiculous all the way through yeah, this is one of those I have 
really not clocked in a ton of time on it. Um, I rented it a couple of times on the 64 uh, and generally enjoyed it. I, of course, I enjoyed the humor of it at the time. It would be uh, interesting to see if I still did uh, all these years removed from it. Um, it's not going to quite be as topical, as timely as it was at the time. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I, I have that rare replay collection and I started it and, and played through it a little bit and then started playing Banjo-Kazooie and that obviously drew my attention in a bit more. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a game that, uh, that would be worth discussing at, at some point in time. I mean, there's a, a, a boss that's just a giant pile of shit and you're throwing yes. toilet paper into its mouth. I mean, that's, oh God, how can you not love that game? Anyway, next question comes from Tabaz. I, I hope I'm actually saying your name right. Um, and uh, he goes in to ask, uh, hey guys, when you're not busy busy doing whatever it is that your mouths do, do mm. you have any way of letting us add you to your to our friends list on stuff like PS4 or Switch? Or is that a little too weird? I looked to see if you had your game profiles listed anywhere and I didn't see anything. I, I don't mind. Uh, for PS4, I'm tiny underscore milkmaid. Because I'm a, that's my name and everything. So pretty much, if you find Tiny underscore Milkmaid on Steam or anything else, that's probably me. Uh, I pretty much won't give my Switch one out though. It's such a pain in the ass to make Switch friends, and my kids are on it all the time. And while generally I'm sure that won't be a problem, let's just avoid that problem. So PS4 and, uh, and Xbox Tiny underscore Milkmaid. Yeah, you can find me on PS4. It's under N Slick letter N S L I C K. Um, if there is demand for my switch code in particular, I, you wouldn't want that unless you like getting the shit beat out of you in Mario Kart. Um, yeah, it can be posted up on the Facebook page. Um, I, I really don't have the time to dig up my switch and, and find that number and read it out on here. It would expand the episode by about an hour. Uh, yeah, you can actually find me on PS4 as OMG Jeremy, as O-M- Oh My God Jeremy, just the O-M-G-J-E-R-E-M-Y. And uh, Xbox, uh, same thing, except a space at the end with EXE at the end, because someone out there took my goddamn name back in the day. So I had to add that on there. Um, yeah, and I, if anybody wants it, my switch, I'll put my switch code because I obviously don't have that memorized. I can put that on Facebook or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't care. I, I just, uh, you know, generally I, I'm not on it too much, uh, I guess. And usually when I'm on it, like I'm usually playing with other people. So please don't ever feel bad. I know a few people have actually added me from this podcast uh, on there. And if you see me playing and you, and you invite me or something like that, and I don't join, please don't take it as I'm just ignoring you or anything like that. It's just, I'm either someone else is playing with me at the time uh, or I'm just kind of like, I, I've got something going on. So don't take it personally. All right. Next up comes from mason and uh he writes in uh if i had missed out on any job as often as billy misses this podcast i'd have Mm -hmm. been fired Mm -hmm. without the tension of knowing which jeremy he's trying to address what's the appeal (laughs) have you considered guest hosts you know someone to fill in and take over when billy is knee deep in cocaine and hookers do you know anyone tangentially involved with gaming like hypothetically a dude who's worked on arcade machines for a living for 16 years and also wrote a couple of things for that website you guys used to work on back in the dark ages hypothetically I know somebody like that, but I think he's too busy. He's he's trying to fucking dig up a Pac-Man, I believe, for his customers. Uh, <laughs> or Miss Pac-Man sometimes. And maybe even a fucking Moonwalker for me. Um, 
but yeah, um, I, I think we would know someone like that. Uh, the only problem is he just has a terribly grating personality, and I, I personally can't talk to him for more than just a, a minute or two at a time. But maybe he would come out better uh, over a podcast. I don't know. Well, there's already at least one of us with a grating personality, but I edit the show, so I can't get off of it. Mm. But uh, I, I would, we'd be fine with guest hosts. We've had, uh, we had Dave uh, from uh, the the Dragon Double Dragon episode. I mean, that was several years ago. But we we would not be opposed to guest hosts. But a lot of the time, uh, at least recently, we don't know Billy's not going to be on the show till mm-hmm. right before the show. And just because of all of our schedules, sometimes it's easier to just record without one of us than to wait. <laughs> for the stars to align when we're all home and free. so. Uh, but I'm not opposed to it, especially if we want to talk about, I don't know, burger time. I'm down with that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it really comes down to, you know, when you're doing a podcast and everyone is in separate states, uh, even getting a guest host or, or a guest someone is, is kind of hard to, to sync up with everyone. And I, I think that's our, our biggest issue as, as far as like getting any, anyone that isn't just me and Jeremy I, I really did enjoy the, the double dragon episode of, of having someone there because you know it's I, I do you know it's just me and Jeremy that's fine but this was always made as a three person podcast mm-hmm. and the way that we have always done this podcast is having that extra person to be there and uh, I think without it it kind of it, it does kind of suffer Mm-hmm. But uh, getting that getting that extra person in there is sometimes just a little bit too hard to deal with, especially even on their end for, for what we need to work. All right. Next question is from Eric Allison. And uh, he says, uh, you guys are my best friends at work. I've literally listened to every episode and have been checking over and over for episode 92. Mm-hmm. Most retro podcasts just don't have the vibe y'all give. And while I obvious, obviously like all three of you, it's always a letdown when Billy is busy. With oh. Work. Oh. I know this is pile up on Billy episode. Man. As for me, I've been playing games since I found an Intellivision under my dad's TV when I was five years old, and I really wish you guys could add a fourth man from that time period. And it just so happens that I'm in tune with that area all the way up to current gen. Anyways, thanks for hanging out with me at work, and I look forward to 100 more episodes. By the way, if you want an odd Super NES game to check out, check out Porky Pig. It's oddly trippy as shit. Have any of y'all tried that one yet? I think by the time this is over, we're going to have a crew about the size of the Wu-Tang Clan. We're going to have eight or nine guys here. But, uh, <laughs> but I will certainly, knowing that uh, this man's uh, sanity at work hinges on my being around, I will try to be around more often for you. Um, as far as this Porky Pig game, no. I, this is my first time learning of this game. I did actually look at uh, look at video of it on on YouTube, and it's just I don't even remember it back in the day. It's like Porky mm-hmm. Porky Pig's Haunted Holiday. I think that's the <laughs> one he's talking about because that's the only Porky Pig I could find game on on uh, on Super NES. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's really it's like he's he goes to these various haunted or um, you know horror and sci fi themed stages. It's just really strange. <laughs> it's just like we've got a Looney Tunes license, we've got Porky Pig. I don't know. What what else do you got? What what what, do you, what ideas do you got? So yeah, that's what it really comes down to. Now, um, uh, yeah, thank thanks for listening. Uh, I've definitely had many b- terrible retail jobs in my past, and I know how grating that can get. So thank you for listening. Um, uh, we'll we'll see about that fourth man in in the future. I, I would like to say I think that uh, you may be 
this this writer may assume we're a little younger than we are because I think we're all from that same time frame. I mean, I had an Intellivision growing up, and it was new when it was was bought at my house. We all had Ataris or ColecoVisions. I think we've all been from that time. I think it's just more difficult to discuss those games in a length that would make a mm. podcast interesting. I know there are definitely podcasts that go through all those games and they spend a lot of time on them, uh, but they are also generally far more detailed about yes. the games than we've ever been going into, you know, the, who, who put them together and reading the manuals and a lot of stuff that it's all very interesting, but it's not what we necessarily do. Uh, that said, I've been pushing for these guys to cover the Treasures of Tarmin Dungeons & Dragons game on Intellivision mm. since the start of this podcast, and someday it will happen. Uh, for me, like, yes, I, I am. I, you know, I was born in 79, so, like, I am of that era, but, like, I was just a bit too young. Mm-hmm. Like, Atari 2600 was really the first system I ever remember playing, and that was really just me jamming on that joystick and not really knowing what I'm doing. Mm. Uh, I Really, the NES is the first system that I got into as far as, like, knowing how to play a video game. So, yeah. like, playing that stuff in the past, like, or, or you know, there's really no nostalgia for me, but I'd, I'd totally be up for covering some of that stuff. It, I think it'd be kind of fun. Yeah, and and I was born in eighty one, so I I remember just kind of you know they, they hand me the the twenty six hundred controller, and let me play around on there in a few minutes for a little bit, um, but yeah, it wasn't until I I got my my NES for Christmas that I really sat down uh, and started playing games and really understanding what I was doing and and kind of uh, kind of picking up memories from from that moment on. Um, but yeah, I I. I'm not opposed. I, I think we had discussed like very early in the podcast. If we ever did anything uh, from from the older era, era, maybe cover several uh, just to to fluff it out to a whole episode. Because I mean, I, I'm thinking about you know adventure on the 2600. I love that game, but I can only talk about that thing for like two minutes. Hey, it's a lot of fun to move those dots and, and those arrows around, and and that's about it. But if you put it to you know several games uh maybe it could stretch out into a full-length episode at that point i'm i'm more concerned with getting my tiger lcd retrospective personally first and then we'll go from there and when my favorite atari 2600 game is et then that this is why i don't recommend Mm. i don't throw out atari games because that was the one i i played the most as a kid and that is so uh, technically my favorite atari 2600 game Okay, so uh, Billy, last episode we had a question from a uh, a listener, and he was uh, asking how our parents treated us back in the day, as far as like uh, when we that that you know how we were with with gaming. You know, what, were they against it? Did they play with us? Mm-hmm. Um, now these next couple of questions are are about that. So I just wanted you to kind of go through as far as like how your parents were. Yeah, uh, my uh, I, I, it's where I get my love from it for both my parents. Um, were before I came around were were heavy into it um, and you know my mother would just uh, she often tells the story of like when she would feed me at night if I was up late at night as a baby she would just kind of sit there in her chair feeding me while playing you know video games at the time uh, I, I guess the Atari would be the one then uh, my father just uh, a, a lot heavier of a player of them he would play them almost daily uh, he would get home in the evening, and that was kind of his way to unwind. Uh, he would sit down and play through a lot of games. And I think I've told several tales, uh, whether it was uh, his calling the Nintendo Power Helpline for, for Metal Gear or Star Tropics, or uh, if it was my sitting down with him. I, I never played many games with my mother, actually. 
Um, she, after about the NES era, kind of fell off a little bit. Um, she she would still still mess around with some of the older ones, and I think I think she still does like the you know the plug and play Atari games nowadays. She'll hop on there. My father is kind of stuck with it a little bit more. Um, he he at least made it to the PS3 era, and I. And I don't think he's keeping up anymore, but he still has his, his favorites. He gets on to play. Um, but yeah, uh, and I spoke about it a few times. One of my most fond memories was, was playing Contra with my father, uh, even though he yelled at me, not angrily, but he would just bark commands the entire time. And I would sit there just a, an, an anxious mess, but I loved every minute of it because it was me and my dad sitting there playing through Contra using the 30 lives code. And eventually we could get through that son of a bitch just using the three lives. And I think, you know, all of us have had good memories playing with our, our parents mm-hmm. with video games. And uh, I, we had several people write in agreeing with that. And uh, I, I do have those that I'd like to read um, maybe next episode, but I have two where it, it didn't turn out that way. And um, mm. uh, first one is from Jinte. I, I, I hope I'm saying your name right again. Uh, and he says, on the previous episode, you were talking about, talking about parents and how they treated gaming in generally. Personally, I'm extremely jealous that all of you had parents that were very positive about what you played and even played with you, since that was the exact opposite experience that I had as a kid. I was not allowed to have any sort of game console, and the only way I got to play games was to stay over at a friend's house and pray that they had an NES or something like that. It wasn't until I actually left home for college that I was finally able to own a console since my parents hated them that much. Anyway, I just wanted to rant a bit and let you know, let everyone know that I really hate all of you that had super cool gaming parents. And uh, the other one, this one comes from uh, that guy named Dave. I hope that's his actual name. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish my, I wish my parents played video games with me. Instead, I was usually mocked for just trying to buy a game magazine, let alone own a gaming system. My parents were hyper-religious and considered stuff like Dungeons and Dragons and video games to be the works of the devil. So you can imagine how fun our household was. Definitely consider yourselves lucky because it sucked for a lot of us. Yeah, and I and I knew kids, uh, some friends of mine. I was that house they went to to play video games. Uh, a lot of times for several. Yeah, and, and it's weird. Uh, it's just parents either fell into one camp or another. You didn't see many parents that were just middle of the ground, didn't care. Um, there were either ones that, that loved it at that time, at least uh, growing up, you know, my age. Uh, there there were parents that either loved it at the time or just there were those kids in school that weren't allowed to touch them. And I never understood it. I, I just, because uh, like, uh, like we said, we had so many fond memories. And, and I think it's a great activity. Uh, and if you're a, a parent now, uh, whether it's a young child or older, I, I still think it's great. I, I, my son and I, in fact, just had a moment yesterday. You know, Minecraft turned 10 years old. And I was sitting there, and we were texting back, and I was like, holy shit, that game is 10 years old. Because that's one of the first games. Uh, I got it um, on PC when it released uh, very early on, uh, close to 10 years ago. And... Yeah, and I remember my son just being so little, sitting there playing through that, and the two of us just sitting there and and kind of working together to to build these towns and 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 one one of which is still fucking standing and and you know it was very emotional sitting there and talking about it and thinking back ten years ago, just uh, the time the two of us spent in this fucking block world, you know, just uh, just messing around on there. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I hate that. I always hate to hear that. You know, the kids who, whose parents kind of just wouldn't let them in involved in the in video game world at all. But uh, it's certainly a thing. Uh, it's something that I am, am very thankful that I, uh, I kind of I grew up on the opposite end of that spectrum. Now, for me, like I didn't actually I, I didn't know too many people that that just had parents that that absolutely could not. They would not allow their friends to mm. play. So, uh, you know, my grandparents were also very, very religious. And they I know they definitely had sort of this, you know, they'd look at video games like, I don't know what this thing is. You know, uh, it was it was new and, and everyone was was way into it. And I, I definitely remember a lot of those uh, news stories from back in the day, like mm. where they really vilified video games as something like it was taking your child over, you know, mm-hmm. it's brainwash. Uh, just some some very extremist kind of things like that to to get parents to worry and, and panic and things. But you know, I, I guess I was lucky enough that it didn't happen to me. But I really feel for anyone out there that that was really into this hobby and just wasn't able to play it because that seems like the worst thing in the world. So yeah, next episode we're going to talk about Kid Dracula and we're going to answer a lot more questions. Uh, hopefully, clear out what, what we have so we can get back to being current on these things uh, again if you want to send us a question you can always send it to us via our incredible question form you can find it retrovania.net along with links to our facebook page and instagram and twitter basically anywhere you can find us uh, you can also send us questions there but we probably won't answer them the question form is, is the best way for jeremy to get them to organize them because both billy and i don't read so uh, you find us on any of those places and we will see you next time as we look at the konami castlevania collection and kid dracula for the nintendo Thank you.